Um, so as, as Chris prayed, my name is Michael, and I'm a church plant resident here, and I'm uh, just excited to continue in our series in Exodus. I love uh, preaching from the Old Testament, studying the Old Testament. I feel like uh, there's just a lot of richness that God has for us in the Old Testament and in the book of Exodus. And this week we're, we're continuing, we're picking up from last week, where, where God began a dialogue with Moses, calling him to be his chosen instrument to save and deliver his people. But as we're going to see more even this week than last week, Moses is kind of a bit of an odd choice to be the deliverer, to be the hero. He's, he's weak. He's got a lot of problems. He's got a lot of issues. He's got some past baggage. And even Moses himself recognizes that. In, in chapter 3, verse 11, we read that Moses said to God, "'Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt?' Really, God, you're picking me? This doesn't make any sense. And this, this reminds me of this, this theme of picking this random person, actually, of Lord of the Rings. It's like my favorite book in the world, um, other than the Bible, it is. Um, so just, just to clarify. Um, but I love it because it's this great story, right? And you got the, the Dark Lord Sauron rising in power, and it just happens that the one ring that, that could potentially defeat him or destroy him, is found by this hobbit, Frodo. Well, it's found by Bilbo, but it lands in Frodo's lap, and he ends up coming to this council of, of all these key leaders, all the different races of Middle-earth, to decide what to do with the ring. And who's going to take it on this perilous mission? And I feel like here, in most good stories, tip or typical stories, you would say, pick Boromir. He's, he's the warrior from Gondor. He'd be the one to lead the mission. Or, or pick Aragorn, the future king. Surely he would be the one you pick. Or Gandalf, the mighty wizard. Or, or Elrond, the greatest living elf lord. But instead, Tolkien doesn't write that story. He writes a very different story. He writes a story where the hero ends up being a hobbit, a halfling, a little person from a backwards, nowhere important place called the Shire. And that's not what we expect. But in this, Tolkien takes a page out of God's playbook. God loves, like Tolkien did, to pick the weak and insignificant and ordinary things to use so that God gets to be seen as the one who's really the true hero, the true deliverer, and he writes a much better story. And so my prayer this morning is that as we see God interacting with Moses, that we would be encouraged of what God can do through us, but also that we would be challenged to, to, to really explore whether we've bought into the narrative that's in the world around us, that power is in strength, or if we buy into the narrative that God's writing, that actually power is found in weakness. And so we're going to look at Moses' two objections this morning and see how God meets those objections to show God loves to use the weak to be his instruments in his plan. So let me pray and ask God that he would help us see this. Father, this morning, I know that I'm coming just feeling very weak. And I don't know what the week's been for everyone else. But we all have moments where we just sense our weakness, our inadequacy, our insufficiency, our brokenness, our sinfulness. And we come this morning and we ask that you, you the all-sufficient one, would meet us. 
that you would speak to us, that you would change us, you would transform us. So give me strength now to speak your words and give all of us strength by your spirit to listen and really hear what you want to teach us this morning. Pray this for your glory and our good. Amen. All right, so we're going to read in Exodus chapter 4. And I'm actually going to read, instead of all, all capital letters, Lord, I'm going to read I am. So that, that's the name that God had revealed Moses last week. We talked about how the I am means he's the all-sufficient one. So I just want to read that so we hear it over and over again in this narrative. So Exodus 4. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The I am did not appear to you. The I am said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the I am said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the I am, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the I am said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some of the water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the I am, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the I am said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the I am? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the I am was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do these signs. This is God's word. So here we are, and uh, Moses has, has been already talking to God. He's revealed himself as, as the great I am. And he finishes, kind of chapter 3 finishes that part of the dialogue with God making this amazing promise. I'm going to rescue my people out of Egypt. And what's crazy is Egypt is the world's superpower at the time. And God says, without you guys lifting a finger, I will not only rescue you, but they're actually going to send you out. They're going to send out their slave workforce out, and you're going to plunder them on your way out without lifting a finger. That's what conquering armies do. And God says, I'll do that to the world's superpower. And you would think Moses might sit down and be like, 
wow, that is awesome. But instead, in verse 1, he's like, um, just one quick little problem here, God. Um, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. They're going to say, the I am did not appear to you. God, there's this big problem, like, they're not going to listen to me, Moses. They're, they're, they're going to think I'm crazy. They're going to be like, you're out in the desert a little too long, Moses. Heat got to you. Something's going on. I mean, God, do you remember my past? I, I've already tried once to be a deliverer. It didn't work out well. They didn't listen to me then. I, I'm not the man for the job. They're, they're not going to listen to me. I, I'm inefficient. I'm, I'm too weak. I'm not able to do this, God. It's not going to work. And on one hand, Moses is right that on his own, why should they listen to him? He is insufficient. He is weak. But the I am is not insufficient. He is fully sufficient. He is the one that can make the world with a word. He is the one that can put life in a woman who is so far past the age of child rearing in Sarah that he can create a promise through that. He's the one that can do anything. And he stands behind Moses. But look at his kindness and Moses' weakness. He, he gives him signs. He says in verse 2, what's that in your hand? A, a staff. Just an ordinary staff. An ordinary piece of wood that Moses would have used as a shepherd to, to care for the sheep. Nothing special about this staff. Just an ordinary, mundane, everyday item and the I am says, look what I can do with this ordinary thing. Throw it on the ground. Moses does, and it turns into a serpent, and he, and he runs away, right? And then he says, all right, go ahead, pick it up. And he puts out his hand and, and picks it up, and it turns back into a staff. The I am says, I can do this. I'm going to give you a sign of I can do the impossible. And, and now, when we first read this, maybe some of our, our modern kind of mindset is, is initially maybe skeptical at this, right? Like, really, a piece of wood becoming a serpent? Like, maybe it just, like, looked like a serpent or something. Well, I don't think he'd run away from it if that was the case. But, but really, I think that modern skepticism is because our mindset tends to be, if it hasn't happened, then it's impossible. But the impossible is sometimes only impossible until someone does it. And so just because we haven't seen something or think it's unlikely does not mean it's inherently impossible. It might be unlikely, but not impossible. And so I just invite you, if you have that skepticism, just kind of hold on for a minute and just say, okay, well, if God can make everything, then maybe he could make a serpent out of a staff. And maybe let's just pause for a minute and ask actually the question, what does it mean? If it is true, if this really did happen, what does it mean? Because I think that's the better question. And I think what it means is actually told us in verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord, the I am, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. It's a sign to validate Moses as God's messenger. Right now, in, in the olden days, right, if you were sending a messenger, say a king to another king, you would send him with, with your signet ring or some kind of symbol showing that he came from your authority, right? And, and you brought that sign to validate you as the messenger that what you're saying really came from someone who was sending you. And the sign would always be something that was distinctive to the person who's sending you. 
So what sign would show distinctively that Moses is being sent by the I am, the all-sufficient one? Well, how about a sign that no one else could do? That might just might say that there's something else behind Moses that's more powerful. And, And this is key. It's not that the messenger is called to be sufficient in any of these cases. The, the power is not in the messenger. When, when someone brought a ring to the king, it didn't matter if that messenger was powerful or wise or smart. What mattered is that he actually represented the person with the power. And that he actually had the sign to back up the fact that he was sent by someone with the real power, with the real authority. And that's why you would listen to him. Not because of who he was, but because of who was sending him or her. And in this case, that's what God is doing here. He's giving Moses this powerful sign to say, Moses, even your weakness, I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to give you a sign so that, yes, when they look at you and see insufficient Moses, they'll also see behind you, sending you, the all-sufficient one. That's what I'm doing. And what's really cool is not only does this sign just show God can do the impossible, but God picks a very particular sign a staff becoming a snake. Because in Egypt, the cobra, the snake, was often connected to royal power. And here's God giving Moses this symbol, saying, Moses, you can, you can throw the staff down and it can become a serpent, but then you can grab it by the tail and it comes right back to a staff. I'm going to use your little ordinary staff, your piece of wood, to be a symbol to defeat Pharaoh with all his mighty power. And it's, it's kind of like when you go in and beat someone at their own game. God's like, Egypt thinks they, they have the deal on serpents? No, no, no. I made serpents. I've got this, Moses. I'm giving you this sign to encourage you in your weakness. And then, again, God gives a second sign voluntarily. Moses doesn't ask for it, but in verse 6 he says, Again, the I am said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, Behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. He puts it in, comes out, it's diseased, leprosy. Disease of the skin, affecting it, it's visible. And then he puts it back in and God makes it whole. And again, verse 8, it's, if they will not believe you, they may believe the latter sign. I'm giving this to you as a sign so they'll believe you. That I am the God who can take something that looks healthy and whole and powerful and I can make it weak. And I can take what's weak and diseased and broken and I can make it whole. Moses, you've been sitting out in the desert feeling like a failure maybe for 40 years. I can use you. Pharaoh could be sitting on his throne feeling like he's got all the power and I can take him down. I can make a hand leprous, and I can make it whole. I can do whatever I want, and I'm behind you. But then again, he gives another sign. Like an, another sign of his goodness, he says in verse 9, If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile, and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile, it will become blood on the dry ground. He's just arming Moses with all this, like, these signs, this evidence to support him. And he says, look, Egypt is known as the breadbasket of the ancient world. The Nile brings 
It floods every year. It makes the ground rich and fertile, produces food. They have this powerful economy. The Nile is really their lifeblood. And I can take, even at the heart of what makes Egypt the most powerful, and I can take it away. Just like that, Moses. You don't need to worry about your insufficiency when I can do all of this. And this, too, is a foreshadowing or a preview of the first plague of God showing to Egypt, no, 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 I'm God, not you. I'm in charge, not you. This is the one who stands behind Moses. All Moses needs to do is just obey. And you see him actually doing this in this section. Every time God tells him to do something, he actually does it. He's obeying, and when he does it, look what God does, these amazing things. And you can almost see God just trying to tell Moses, Moses, don't you get it? It's not about your insufficiency. You're focusing on the wrong thing. Focus on me, the one who's sending you. Focus on what I can do. Focus on my power. I can do amazing things through weak people. I can take an ordinary man. I can take an ordinary staff. I can take an ordinary hand. I can take ordinary water and do things that are extraordinary just to show that I'm God, that I can do it, and you don't need to be afraid. So don't worry about your weakness, Moses. Now, I would imagine that you would think that with such a powerful backer behind him, Moses would be like, all right, you've won me over, let's go. I mean, so for example, I mean, if, if you were, say, called to fight someone, imagine you had to like, fight someone, but you could call the Hulk in at any time as your backup, all right? I just saw the, the new Thor movie, so this is fresh in my brain. I am not a big guy. I'm a small guy. I don't like my odds in almost any fight, but if I have the Hulk with me, okay, I can take any of you. I'll take all of you at the same time, all right? Because I got the Hulk with me. I don't need to be afraid. The I am is way more powerful than the Hulk, right? He stands behind Moses like, just go, Moses. I'm with you. And then Moses in verse 10 pulls out a second objection. Well, here's the thing. I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. I, you've given me this public speaking job, God, and I'm just not very good at public speaking. Like, I know you can turn water into blood. You can take a staff into a serpent, but I'm just not a good public speaker, and I think that just sinks the whole ship. I mean, you're like, what is going on, Moses? But it's because, again, he's focusing on all the wrong things. It's, I am not eloquent. I am slow speech. Moses, why are you focusing on I? You're focusing on the wrong I. Focus on the I am. He's the one that's sufficient. And that's what God says in verse 11. And the I am said to him, who made man's mouth? Who do you think made your mouth, Moses? I did. Don't you think I know what I can do with your mouth? Who, who makes people mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the I am? I, I'm the one that makes every person. I'm the one that can be at work through every person that I make and use. Why, why, are, you, why are you caught up on this? Just go. I'm going to be with your mouth. Isn't this a beautiful promise? Moses, don't worry about it. I'm going to be with your mouth. 
and I'm going to even teach you what you shall speak. You just got to go. I'm behind you. And yet this time, Moses goes even a step further. In verse 13, he says, okay, oh my Lord, please send someone else. All right, if you can work through anybody, then send somebody else. All right? If you can work through anybody, then send somebody else, not me. And it's, it's been incredible. I mean, all along here, God has been so patient with Moses. I love Psalm 103. It says that, that he knows our frame, that we're but dust, and he has compassion on us. And you've seen him be so slow to anger with Moses because weakness is not a problem for God. But what is a problem is disobedience and rebellion. And Moses has gone from weakness and doubt and questions and fear, which God can work with, to saying, no, I'm just flat out going to disobey. Send somebody else. And this leads to the anger of the I am against Moses. He is slow to anger, but that does not mean he never gets angry. He can be so patient with weakness, with our fears, with our doubts, with our inadequacies, but when you say, nope, I'm not going to do it, God, then that gets God a little angry. Because, here's why, Moses is not saying anymore that he's insufficient. He's saying God is insufficient. See, before, Moses was saying, oh, well, the problem is, the problem is with me, God. But now God said, no, 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 I've answered all your objections, and now Moses is saying, nope, still not good enough. I think about this uh, last summer, maybe two summers ago, I was trying to teach one of my daughters to swim, and she wanted to kind of jump in the pool, but she was scared. I said, well, what are you afraid of? And she said, well, I, I don't want to jump in and go under. And I said, don't worry, Dad will catch you. I won't let you go under. And in that moment, she has a choice. She can trust me and think, Dad's sufficient, and jump Or she can say, I'm too scared and not jump. But really what she's saying in that moment is, I don't trust dad enough. I don't trust enough to jump. And that's what Moses was saying to God. God, you're not big enough. You're not sufficient enough to use me. Use somebody else. And what Moses is doing is he's making little of God. And this is pride. And God opposes the proud. See, there's a pride that can mask itself as humility. You can say, well, I'm so humble that God can't use me. It's like, no, no, no. God can use anybody. But when you look God in the face and say, God, I know better than you. I know my insufficiencies well enough. And I know your lack of sufficiency well enough that you can't use me. That is pride. It's saying you know better than God. And it masks itself as humility, but it's not humility, it's pride. And God opposes the proud. He works with the humble. See, God works through weak things, not proud things. God works through weak people, not proud people. And even if Moses says, well, I'm not really disobeying, passive-aggressive is still disobeying. But amazingly, God doesn't drop the hammer. 
I mean, I feel like if I'm God and I'm in charge, I'm like, that's it. I'm done with Moses. Just drop the hammer, move on. But God doesn't do that. Even though he's angry at Moses, look again at God's kindness and Moses' weakness. Verses 14, he continues, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I'll be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. He shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. He's going to provide words for Moses through his brother Aaron. He's saying, okay, if you feel like you don't have the words and you don't have the mouth, I'll provide the mouth for you. It's Aaron, your brother. A Levite who would become the first high priest, the go-between between God and man, foreshadowed here in being a go-between from Moses to the people. And God, this is amazing, God in his sovereignty already has Aaron en route to meet Moses before this conversation happens. Isn't that amazing, God's sovereignty and kindness? He's having this conversation with Moses in real time, but he fully knows that Moses, at the end of the day, say, I, I, I can't do it, God. You can't use me. And instead of dropping the hammer on him, he had already planned before to start to send Aaron on his way to meet Moses. That is a God who's so kind and patient with weakness, is it not? Because the greater the weakness, the greater credit God gets. That's how God works. And I love how he finishes in verse 17. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do these signs. Oh, and Moses, before you go, one thing. Don't forget your staff. You know that ordinary piece of wood? Take it with you. Because it's going to be a reminder of how I use the ordinary and weak things to do the amazing. With this staff, I'm going to do signs that are going to blow Pharaoh's mind but it's just an ordinary staff. So take it with you and remember what I do with weak things. Do, do you see the point of this passage, why God wrote this for us, recorded it to remember? It's not so we would all go, man, that Moses guy is such a great hero. I just love Moses. No, it's to show us how awesome God is, how kind God is to work with such weak instruments. But this has always been God's pattern. It always will be. He goes to Gideon, the, the smallest of his family, of the smallest uh, clan within his tribe, and he uses Gideon with just 300 men to defeat a huge army. Why? So that it would be shown that God's the one who's at work. He takes David, the youngest and smallest of all his brothers, and makes him king over Israel. And he sends David to defeat a nine-foot-tall giant with just a sling and a stone. Why? So God gets all the credit. He uses Peter, this guy who is way too loud mouth and doesn't actually put his money where his mouth is, who betrays Jesus and says, I'm going to use you to build the church. That's always God's pattern. Taking weak instruments to use them for good. And the Apostle Paul summarizes the why so well. In 1 Corinthians 1, he says this, for consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, 
to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Nobody gets to take credit in God's presence because he uses people that clearly the credit cannot go to them on purpose. That's his pattern. And so God wants us to remind us that it's okay if you're weak. It's okay if you're insufficient. Look to him, the sufficient one, and he'll meet you. And we know this because the greatest pattern working through weakness was in in the time when the I am came to earth to become the I am who saves. That's what the name Jesus means. The name Jesus means the I am who saves. And he was born not as a powerful king, but as a weak baby. Born to a poor family in a backwater town, then grew up in a backwater town of Nazareth where everyone said nothing good can come from that place. And then he had this crazy idea that his main mission was to die a shameful death on a piece of wood, crucified by the world power at the time, Rome, outside the city, shamed, despised, weak. Why would God work through such weakness? Because the weakness of God is stronger. Because he didn't stay on the cross. He didn't stay in the tomb. That weakness was Jesus taking on all of our weakness, all of our sins, all of our disobedience on himself, and then the power of God raised him from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sent his own Holy Spirit to live within us. So the I am doesn't just say, I will be with you, but the I am now says, I live within you. That's how with you I am. So don't worry if you're insufficient. I'm sufficient. When you're at your most insufficient, when you could do nothing to save yourself from my wrath, from my just judgment on your sin, I did it all. So don't you think I can do anything else I want with you? Don't you think I can provide and sustain you in anything else I call you to do? So I don't, I don't know where you're at this morning in terms of feeling insufficient. Maybe uh, some of you say, okay, like, I, I know that God can work through anyone, and I know he's given us this, this mission of making disciples and speaking, but, but man, I, I just feel so weak. Like, I'm a shy person, I'm a quiet person, maybe I'm an introvert, and it's hard to open my mouth. I totally get what Moses is talking about here. That's, that's hard for me. I don't think I can do it. Don't worry. God made your mouth. God made you with your personality. He can use you. Don't worry about your insufficiency. Look to him and say, God, how are you going to use me? Just help me to be faithful. And maybe God might actually use you in ways that he can't use the loud extrovert. Or maybe this morning you're a stressed out parent. You're overwhelmed. You feel like you can't do anything right. You feel completely inadequate. How can I raise my kids to love Jesus? I am such a failure. What if God says, don't worry about that. You're in the perfect spot for me to use you. You're realizing how weak you are. I can work with that. 
lean into me. And maybe even in your failures and weaknesses, you get to share with your kids how you too need the I am who saves. And maybe God will use that more than your perfection. Or maybe this morning you're feeling stuck in a pattern of sin. You feel like you can't get out of it. And you feel like a hypocrite to ever speak about Jesus because you're trapped in sin. And you feel like, if I could only fight my way out of this, then maybe, maybe then God could use me. If I could only do enough to get myself out of this, then God could be at work through me. This morning, look at how God treated Moses so gently. He says, no, 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 I'm, I'm, not, I'm not there once you fight through your sin. I'm with you right now in the battle. And if you own your weakness and lean into me, I can use you. I can be at work through you. Because I work through weak people. Our great I am loves to work with jars of clay so that the message of the gospel shines that much brighter. And I, I, I can think of this in my own life. In January, I uh, had a friend point out some areas of my life, specifically in parenting, where I was falling short, being too quick to anger with my kids. And I can remember in January, just feeling like really feeling the weight of my sin, seeing how big it was, and I lost sight of how much more sufficient God's grace was. And I got to the point where I felt like, like I'm a failure as a parent. I can't do anything I've got to call Zach and Scott and tell them, I've got to resign. I'm done. I, I can't get up and speak. God can't use me. The world would be a better place without me, I thought. I hit kind of that low depression. And then one day I was reading John 4, the woman at the well who meets Jesus with all her brokenness and weakness. And she runs back to the village after talking to Jesus and says, come and see someone who told me everything I've ever done. And she says that as if it's good news. Because it is. Because Jesus still loved her. Even with all her failure and weakness. And in that moment, I just felt God remind me, Michael, because of the gospel, I don't view you as a failure. I see the sufficiency of Jesus. That's who you are. I can use you because he loves to use weak instruments. That's what God does with Moses. That's what he does over and over again and that's what he wants to do with us. He wants us to say, God, help me to see my insufficiency and to lean into you so that you can use me. Let's put our eyes on the great I am who saves so we can be useful instruments in his hands. Not because we've got it together, but because he does. And then, maybe in our weakness, in our brokenness, in the ordinary spots of daily life, he'll be at work to draw other people to himself so he gets all the glory. And before you go, don't forget your staff. Let's pray. Father, you are the great I am. The promise-keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and on and on through the generations all the way down to us today. And you've kept your promise. You, you have sent your son, Jesus, to be the sufficient one for us. 
the one who did it all perfectly when we couldn't and died in our place, rose again, and now gives us your spirit so that as we admit our weakness, as we admit our need for you, you're at work in us and through us, not despite our weaknesses, but precisely in the midst of them. So I pray that you would encourage us this morning if, if we're discouraged. That you would call all of us to lean into you and depend on you and find our strength not in ourselves, but in you, the great I am. Amen.